If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel, Old Testament book, 1 Samuel. And uh, we will be uh, starting in the, in the second, uh, second chapter. Uh, you know, I've discovered that uh, when we were looking at parent dedication here, it always brings back memories uh, for all of us who, who uh, have children or had children that, um, uh, that you learn a lot about parenting, oftentimes from observing others. And you look at how, uh, what people do, and uh, for some, you see the mistakes they made, and you said, I don't want to do those mistakes. And then you look at others, and you see the good things they did, and you said, hey, I would like to emulate that. And then hopefully we can get the same results that you did. So parenting is something where you're always, always learning. And in this parent dedication service, we're reminded of our responsibilities in raising and nurturing our children and helping them to both know God and also to love God. And so I was looking in the scripture and there's an interesting example of parenting and life choices that are found in the Old Testament. And we get an inside look at a church family in the Old Testament. And it's a church family, it's a family that's very involved in church and we get to put the microscope on them and find the things that they did that probably were things we don't want to do, and then also maybe there's some things that they did that we would want to emulate. And so today, if you're a parent of of any kind, then you could relate to this. If you say, well, we don't, I don't have any kids, or maybe I'm single, I'm I'm not even married, don't have any children, there are life lessons in this for every one of us. And so let's just walk through this scripture, and we're going to look into the life of a man by the name of Eli and to look at, at his family. And when you get to 1 Samuel, if you start at the beginning, uh, how it got started was there was a woman by the name of Hannah who could not have any children. And so when they went up uh, there to, to worship, and, uh, and as they were worshiping there in the, uh, in the, in the presence of, of God and, the, and in the, uh, uh, with the priest there, uh, she was weeping and crying. And so Eli, who was the priest, came to her, and he asked her what was wrong with her. And she told her a story in that she couldn't have any children and that, uh, and that if she could, that she would dedicate it to the Lord if she could have a child. And he just said, God's heard your request, you know, uh, let it be, and, and sent her back home. And all of a sudden, that next year, she gave birth to a child. And so she gave birth to a child, and when it came time to go and to worship again, she hesitated and said, let me wait until I've weaned the child, and then that means the next time I come for worship, I will present this child, and I will dedicate him to the temple, and he will be raised there in the temple. And so this young boy, who was named Samuel, when he was three years of age, his mother took him, and she took him to the temple, and she gave him to Eli and for him to raise him there in the temple and to say, he is being dedicated to you. And so here they have this child, and he's being dedicated to, uh, to the Lord. And so you pick up on Eli. And Eli, and during that time, was the time of the judges, and he was a judge, and he was the priest. And he also had two other sons, and we kind of follow up with these guys on verse 12. So chapter 2, verse 12, he says, <clears throat> Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Well, that's not a good start. Um, but that was the two sons he had, and their name are Hophni and Phinehas, which you'll see a little bit later. And it said here, when it says that they did not know the Lord, it meant that they didn't fear God and they didn't respect God. 
And they were described as worthless, good-for-nothing, wicked people who openly practiced uh, wickedness. And then he says in verse 13, the custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with the three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. And this is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. And so what happened is, is these um, his two sons were working for his dad, who was the priest, and they were like the little priest juniors. And there, and when people would bring their sacrifices, uh, there was laid out in the book of Leviticus what was supposed to happen. And that is when somebody brought a peace offering and they would bring this animal, they specifically said that the right shoulder and the breast went to the Levites. That's how they would, uh, the priest, that's how they would get their food. But then the fat of the animal and the rest of the animal would stay and it would be on the altar, would be burned on the altar, and, and, and the rest of it was for the Lord. But what these guys did was they came up with a new system and they came up with this three-pronged fork. Nowhere else is it found in Scripture. And when they saw the meat there, they would stick the fork down in it and just pull it up. And it's kind of like, hey, whatever comes up is ours. And they, what they did was they were taking the choicest meat for themselves and then as you'll see on here, they even took the fat of the meat, which is supposed to be sacrificed to God. And so it comes in verse 15. And then in verse 15, it says, moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. The lay people, the, we could, if we just want to say it like the church members, were coming and they understood more than, than the, the pastor or the staff, if you just put it in today's words. Because they would sit there, doesn't the Bible say that you're supposed to take the fat and offer it to God? He says, nah, kind of a new rule. We're going to take that. And so what they did was these men, these uh, Hophni and Phinehas, they were taking the meat that was supposed to be sacrificed to God, and they were taking it more for themselves. And so it says in verse 17, thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And so that's Hophni and Phinehas. Then all of a sudden you come to verse 18 and it says, Samuel, we were introduced to him earlier, was ministering before the Lord. He was a boy clothed with a linen ephod and his mother used to make him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And so what would happen, the priest would wear a robe and then they would wear a vest that was called an ephod. So his mama made him a robe kind of like the priest and made him his own little ephod on there. So he's kind of like, I want to dress up to be like dad. So if your dad's a policeman, a guy would dress up like a policeman, okay? If dad was a doctor, a guy would wear a little doctor outfit uh, around the house. And so uh, it's like, I'm going to dress like that. I'm going to do the work. And so he's like a priest in training uh, over here, and he's ministering to the Lord. Well, then you pick up on verse 22, and it says um, in verse 22, and the young, at the end of verse 21, and the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. 
And so here's Samuel growing in the presence of the Lord, but then these other two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Well, these guys went the next step. There were women that were assigned to serve at the tent of meeting. And what they did was instead of helping them grow in their spiritual walk, they were seducing these women. And so Eli said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And so all of a sudden, you've got these men who, instead of helping people in their spiritual walk, are going against all the things that God had told them to do. And so Eli confronts them. And he's in his older age now. And these kids, they've grown up. And he's telling them, what you've done is wrong. And it says they didn't listen to their father's voice. So God begins to take things into his own hands. And in verse 27, it says, And there came a man of God to Eli, and they said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Now, when it says it's the man of God, it's used about, this phrase is used about 70 times in the Old Testament. It means like a prophet, that God sent a prophet to them. And he said, do you not remember what happened back in, in the day when you were, uh, when the exit, before the exodus took place? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. What he's talking about was Aaron was chosen to be the high priest. When God looked at the 12 tribes of Israel, he took one tribe, the tribe of Levi, and he said, these will be the priests. And then out of that tribe of Levi, he chose one family. His name was Aaron. And he said, Aaron will be high priest. And then he had sons, and it will descend from his sons. That's where the high priests come from. And he says, did I not give you all this? Did I not give you all these opportunities and give you this incredible uh, opportunity, this incredible uh, um, uh, gift to be able to offer these incenses and to offer these uh, sacrifices to the Lord, you have been given an amazing responsibility. And what an amazing privilege you've gotten. And he says, and I've given you all of this privilege. And then he comes in verse 29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people. Why are you doing this? Here, I've given you this amazing privilege, and yet your sons are, are going in an opposite direction, and you're not doing anything about it. So what I did, I looked at this, and I said, uh, what kind of life lessons do we learn from this Old Testament family right now? And let me just give you some insights from this passage. Number one is this. Parents make parenting mistakes. Parents make parenting mistakes. If you have raised a child and you're the perfect parent, could you just stand at this time so I can, because what we'd really love to do is to tap your brain on that. Uh, what it would be a lot of fun is to take a survey and say, okay, as a parent, think about when, how old was your child when you made your first parenting mistake? See, some mom would say, 
day three, uh, you know, uh, on there. I mean, you just do that. Parents make parenting mistakes. And when we take a look right here at Eli, there's some things that jump out at us. Number one, too soft and passive. Too soft and passive. In verses 22 through 25, it says, when he was old, which means that he didn't really confront them until he was older. When he was younger and his children were younger, he didn't, he didn't confront them. He waited until they were older as, as an adult. And, uh, and when he heard about these abuses and things, he did nothing about it. The abuses had been going on for a long time, and yet he wouldn't say anything about it. Then all of a sudden, it got even worse with the way he was seducing the women over there. And so now all of a sudden, he got to the boiling point to where he says, I need to be able to confront you on this. And he warned about the dangers of their behavior. But you see, he didn't do that before. Because if he had done that before and warned them about the dangers of their behavior and then brought them under proper discipline, and he could have used his authority to restrain them, but he didn't. He was too soft and he was too passive. And beyond the fact that he was their father, he was also a judge and he was also a priest. He had the power to cast them immediately out of that position. He should have gone to them and said, this is what a priest is supposed to do, and you're not doing that. This is wrong, and you gotta lose your job. But he was too soft. He was being a little bit too passive with them. And later on, which we'll see in, in, uh, second, in 1 Samuel 3.13, in 3.13, the Lord told Samuel this, who was then to relay it to Eli, and he says, and I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. The iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. This, didn't, this wasn't something like Eli said, I didn't know this was wrong. He knew it was wrong, but he did nothing about it. And so it's just a great reminder for us as parents is that sometimes parents are more concerned with being their child's friend rather than being their parent. And you need to be loving and enjoy your children. They are a gift from the Lord, but you also need to be firm and willing to discipline The second point that we see under parents making parenting mistakes is honor your children above God. This is one of the mistakes that happens, is when you honor your children above God. I've read over this passage a number of times, and when I read it again this week, this phrase jumped out at me. It's almost like I had missed it before. Because in verse 29, when he says, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me? As parents, it is such a joy to have a child to come into your home. And it's such such a a great uh, uh, privilege as a parent. And it says that, yes, they are a gift of the Lord, but yet you can never elevate them ahead of the giver. And when he says in this passage, you honored your children above God, we just got to ask ourselves the question, Do you allow and approve of behavior that is antithetical to God's word, that is opposite of God's word? Do you see your children heading in that direction, yet say nothing on that because you don't want to hurt their feelings or whatever, don't want them to express their creativity? I don't know, whatever, you figure it out. But if you're sitting there and saying, well, I really want to honor my child uh, over God, then you're falling into the trap of Eli. Do you give precedence and honor to extracurricular activities over their walk with God? Do you honor your children above God? 
And I think just as every parent, when you take an evaluation and, and an inventory of, of how we're doing, we just got to ask ourselves the question, am I honoring my child above God? This is what Eli was doing. And the third point was this, just too inconsistent, too inconsistent. If you look on verse 29, again, he says, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and you honor your sons above me? by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people of Israel. Fattening yourselves. That means includes Eli. Your two sons have been grabbing the extra meat, but you're fattening yourselves. Now, in chapter 4, verse 18, it says that Eli was a heavy man. And so a lot of people says that indicted him because he was eating a lot of meat that was coming from the sacrifices that was taken that he wasn't supposed to be eating. And I put down here too inconsistent. You know, it's kind of hard to listen to your dad tell you that you're wrong in taking so much meat when at the dinner table he says, pass the meat for his third helping. And then he's telling you how good it is and how delicious this meat is, and he's telling you, hey, guys, you're wrong. You don't need to be taking all that meat. You're supposed to be sacrificing it to the Lord, but could you pass me another filet while we're at it? You see, that's that inconsistency in a life. And this is when, when the man of God came and he stood in front of Eli. He said, this is what you're doing. He says, this is exactly what you're doing. You're being inconsistent. You're telling your kids this is wrong, but yet you are participating in this. And there is a consistency as parents that we need to have in our walk and also in our talk. You see, it's hard to talk about God being a priority in their lives if he's not a priority in your life. And it's hard for us as parents to preach to our kids to say, hey, God needs to be number one, but yet they don't see any evidence of that in our own life. Or for us to sit there and say, you need to really respect those people. Don't bully anybody at work, at school. You need to respect those that you come into contact with. But yet we don't treat our spouses with respect. You see, if they can see a parent being respectful, not only within their home, but also outside their home, they understand what respect looks like. And it's very difficult to be that inconsistent to say, you need to do this, but I'm doing this. It's hard to talk about integrity and ethics if you're not above board in handling your own business and personal finances. You see, Hophni and Phinehas had no respect for the Lord or for the office of their father, the high priest, and it showed in their actions. They had no respect for him. And part of that is that inconsistency. All right, second life lesson that we learned is parents are in the best position to point their children to God. Parents are in, their, in the best position to point their children to God. Um, throughout the years, Eli has been showcased as the worst parent in the Bible, okay? Every preacher, every Sunday school teacher, they zero in on Eli. In fact, if there was a bad dad award, he would, he'd be the guy. In fact, they'd name it after him. In fact, whenever they hand out the trophy every year to whoever was the worst dad and they get the bad dad award, it would be Eli. It would be the Eli bad dad award. Because you read over here and you see all the bad things that he did. And everybody talks about Hophni and Phinehas and man, how did these boys grow up like that? That's unbelievable. What a terrible dad he was. And the, <clears throat> even the man of God came right to him and got into his face. But what we forget is he had a third son. His name was Samuel. Now, whether you want to call it he was a foster dad or an adopted dad, either one, he's the guy that was raising him. And from the age of three all the way up in, into uh, his adulthood, Eli was his father figure. And something worked. 
If you look in verse 18 of 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says Samuel was ministering. He was ministering before the Lord. That word means an ongoing activity, something that was ingrained in his lifestyle. He's ministering before the Lord. Verse 21 says he grew up in the presence of the Lord. In verse 26, it said that he had favor. See, he says the young man continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord. He was pleasing to God. He was pleasing to people. He lived in such a way as he learned to please God and to please those around him. Just the opposite of Hophni and Phinehas, who had no regard for the Lord or no regard for his sacrifices. What a contrast. So while the sins of Hophni and Phinehas were increasing in magnitude, Samuel's stature and good standing were increasing also. So these guys are getting worse. He's getting better. And yet, they're in the same household, so did Eli do something right? Well, the one thing you can see he did right was found in chapter 3. In chapter 3, if you look at this story, it says, Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. And at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I didn't call you. (laughs) Go lie down. So he went and laid down. Then the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose, he went to Eli, and he said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel didn't know yet that the Lord and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. So he had not ever had this, uh, this experience of the Lord speaking to him. And so in verse 8 it says, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose, he went to Eli, and he said, here I am, for you called me. Okay, this is getting a little old. Well, then Eli, listen to this. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Now here's Eli, the bad dad, perceived. He understood this is not just bad dreams. This is not just that he's hearing voices. This is of the Lord. And this is what he said. Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I'm going to give you some spiritual guidance. This is what you're supposed to do in this situation. So Samuel went, and he laid down in his place, gave him some good advice. And guess what? The Lord came. He stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Do you realize that's exactly what his dad told him? It's exactly what Eli said. I want you to repeat. This is it. And he does that. He listened to what... what uh, his dad said. And then the Lord said to Samuel, this is tough. He says, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I don't know if God's ever used that phrasing before, but that'd get my interest right there. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So, doesn't matter how many offerings you give, this judgment's still going to happen. 
Now, how would you like to be a young boy and get that message? So Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, <clears throat> and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Yeah, for sure. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. How difficult is that? To look up to the man that is raising you and said, God is, is going to judge your household. God's bringing iniquity on you and your household. So how do you respond if you're Eli? And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It is the Lord. Let him do good. Let him do what seems good to him. Here's Eli who's made a lot of mistakes as a parent, all of a sudden has pointed his child to God. And then when he heard the news, he came back and he said, hey, may God be glorified in what God needs to do. It'll be the right thing to do. Parents, we are in the best position to point our children to God. We want to take advantage of every one of those moments. Number three, each family member is responsible for their own life choices. Each family member is responsible for their own life choices. Hophni and Phinehas and Samuel, they came from the same household. They were raised by the same father. Their father was the same man with the same prestigious position in the community. All three sons had similar religious education and opportunities. All the sons had to deal with the fact that either their father was a judge or their father was a priest. All three sons had to deal with the same um, uh, uh, challenges, uh, the same peer pressures, all of that that came with being raised in that particular household, all three. They had the similar uh, uh, background and the way they were raised. All of them had that. But the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, became great in their sins, while Samuel became great in his faith. How do you explain the differences? I can't. Now, some may say, well, maybe Eli in his older years became a better, a better father, but even in that time, there were things he could have done for his kids, and he didn't do it. I mean, he, he could have, even as an older man, have, <clears throat> have removed them from their position of service, but he failed to do that. So how did these two keep going in one direction and Samuel go completely in the other direction? It's choices that we make. And there's two things. Number one, choices produce circumstances and consequences. Choices produce circumstances and consequences. When people continually choose sinful attitudes and actions, they will gradually become hard-hearted and turn away from God. That's what Hophni and Phinehas did. But those who persist in faith will grow stronger and stronger, and they will be firm to the end, and that is Samuel. So however children are raised in families, as parents, we want to give them the best opportunities we can to grow in the Lord. But they choose, and they must make those choices, and those choices will produce circumstances and produce consequences. And last uh, under this is your destiny is a result of your daily decisions and defining decisions. Your destiny is a result of your daily decisions and your defining decisions. Your daily decisions. Your daily decisions will have consequences that will add up. And then in life, there are those few defining decisions that you have. 
and you have to learn to manage it. There's a quote by Mark Batterson uh, who wrote The Circle Maker, and I love this book. And in this book, Mark Batterson says this. This is where this point comes from. Your destiny is a result of your daily decisions and defining decisions. If you make good decisions on a daily basis, it is a cumulative effect that pays dividends the rest of your life. You keep making those good decisions, it'll keep reaping dividends and re- dividends for good. If you keep making bad decisions, it'll also reap dividends, but dividends for bad. But we only make a few defining decisions in life, and then we spend the rest of our lives managing them. You see, Hoffney and Phineas made poor daily decisions that added up and that culminated in making some life-defining decisions that ended. In the end, it cost them their lives. In fact, it was said, the Lord uh, said in verse 25, and let me just give you the quote of the way the message puts it. It says, but they were far gone in disobedience, and they refused to listen to a thing their father said. So God, who was fed up with them, decreed their death. Say, does God ever get fed up? Yeah. And he decreed their death. And he said, it's going to happen. If you go to chapter 4, it did. And they both died on the same day. Choices have consequences, okay? Number four, you can be around the things of God, yet not know, fear, or respect God. You can be around the things of God, yet not know, fear, or respect God. In verse 12, uh, that very first verse we read, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. They They were wicked men. They did not know the Lord. They had no respect, no fear for the Lord. Now, they were around the things of God. People were coming, were bringing sacrifices to them. They were, uh, they were there with the offerings and the sacrifices, and they did all the stuff. But they didn't either know the Lord and they didn't respect the Lord. But then, on the other hand, you look at Samuel, and in verse 21, it says, And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. They were brought up in the same house, same father. One had no fear or respect for the Lord, and the other grew up fearing the Lord. See, children can grow up in a home. It could be a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a D group leader. Uh, It could be anyone. It could be anyone in ministry or someone successful in business, and they can grow up in that home and could be around the things of God as you could be a committed church member and yet not even know, fear, or respect God. And just because you got your name on a church roll does not mean that you're a Christ follower. And because at times we can do the cultural Christian thing and we can become a part of a church and we think, okay, that must be it. But if I take a look at my life and it doesn't match up with what Jesus says we are to do and how we're to live as a follower of him, then we have to ask ourselves the question, am I really a follower of Christ or not? Am I just fooling myself? I mean, am I... Am I really living a life for him? Am I really a Christ follower or am I just a Shades member? And your hope is that if you're a Shades member, you're a Christ follower, but you could be a Shades member and not be a Christ follower. I mean, you could come and say all the right things and we could talk to you and you could, be, you could follow in baptism, but yet you're the only one that knows, did I truly make that decision? Was that to please parents? Was that to peer pressure? Was that because I went through a bad day and I felt if I did something like this, life would be better for me? 
Or was it truly coming to that point to where you understood that you were a sinner and because of your sins it separated you from a holy God? And that before, and if you don't get into that relationship, you will be living your life apart from God just on your own with no relationship with your creator, the heavenly father. Until you got to that point to where you understood that those sins separated you from God, then you were sorry for your sins and you want to repent of those sins and ask for God to forgive you. And after God would forgive you, that you would ask his son, Jesus Christ, to come into your life and to be the one who's already paid the penalty for all your sins. And when I receive him, he says, welcome, you come into the family of God and now you are a Christ follower. Hey, you'll still make mistakes and you'll stumble along the way, but your whole goal is to be more like Christ and he will guide you through his Holy Spirit and help you to be able to do that. So Hophni and Phinehas were guys that it looked like they understood the things of God, but they never feared him or respected him. Where Samuel, everywhere you see him, he's growing in the Lord, growing in the Lord, finding favor with God, finding favor with others. Fifth is this, God will judge your choices and actions. God will, joice, will judge your choices and actions. In verse 30 through 35, remember we said the man of God came to Eli, this is what he told him, therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this, that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. That's some pretty rough words. But what God has said is there's judgment on those actions. And he said, Eli, if you took Aaron and you took his sons, one of his sons, this is the line of descendants, and you're a part of that. Guess what? In a few more years, I'm going to remove that, and we're going to the other son. And this is where the high priest will come from. And so you'll never, you'll, your family will no longer have that privilege of being in the high priest. Because you see, you didn't pull in and rein in your boys over here. And you were allowing them to blaspheme God. And he said, that's where that judgment will come. Now, if you'll follow, it doesn't happen right away. Yes, the two sons did die, and Eli did die. But they had some descendants that were kings all the way up to the time of David. And when David and then Solomon came and they're getting ready to build the temple, then there became another priest from another line. Just as, Jesus, just as God said would happen. And so God will judge our choices and he will judge our actions. But from a negative standpoint, you say, Danny, that's kind of a downer. But look at the positive. Chapter 3, verse 19 in Samuel. And he says this, And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. That meant that everything that Samuel said proved to be reliable. And what God says, I will honor those who will honor me and those who despise me, I will lightly esteem them. I will not give them the honor 
But if I'm being honored by others, I will give them honor. And Samuel is perfect. And you can, he's not a perfect person, he's a perfect example, is that when you go through here, and this could be your homework, just say, I'm going to read chapters two and three. And every time you look, just look at Samuel, what it said about Samuel. Every time in there, he's ministering to the Lord, he's finding favor. And then all of a sudden, the Lord was with him, and none of his words would fall to the ground. God judges. And when he judges, when there are things that, that we're doing wrong, then there will be judgment. But then there are things where we're giving him honor. The way God judges that is he esteems that and then gives you honor because you're giving him honor. I will honor those who honor me. Now, you look at this, you look at his parents, and you say, wow, it's kind of a scary passage. It's supposed to be. <laughs> no. It is a very sobering passage because it was a dad who knew what was right and knew what was wrong. He knew what was right and wrong. And he saw the direction that his boys were going, and he did nothing. And he said nothing. And he was even in a position to remove them from that, their position, which he should have, and he didn't. And he treated them differently than others. If these had been two other guys and not his sons, I'm thinking he would have fired them and put someone else in their position. But you see, they were his kids, so he overlooked it. And what he decided to do is he said, I'm going to honor you over God. And we've got to be careful on that. But let me give you the closing word. It's got to be a word of hope. And that is that God always extends hope. God always extends hope. In verse 35, this is what the man of God told him. He says, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house. He shall go in and out before my anointed forever. I will build up. I'm, there's going to be a new priest that's going to come in town. Now, in one instance, they say it's the priest named Zadok, Z-A-D-O-K. He's the priest that came during Solomon's time. He was there when they built the temple. He was a man that had a great heart. But it's also talking about Jesus Christ because he is our high priest and he is the one who will be there forever. And so what he's doing is he's giving a promise of the future as to what is getting ready to happen. And he's letting him know, hey, listen, I'm telling you what, I'm still in control and there is going to be this high priest and he will be forever. And what Jesus does is he mediates for us between the Father all the time, 24-7, and that is whenever we sin and we ask for forgiveness, it goes through Jesus who then goes to the Father and he says, I'm standing in, Jan in, Dana's, in, in, Danny, <laughs> in Danny's stead. As I'm standing in Danny's stead, that's hard to say. I'm standing for Charles McDaniel Wood Jr. That's easier to say. I'm standing for, for uh, Charles McDaniel Wood Jr. over here and he is just messed up and he's asking for forgiveness and I want to let you know my blood has been shed for him. And so when God looks at him, he sees the righteousness of Christ with me. He is the same with all of us. And he says, this is, our, this is our good news, okay? And so as we think about this Old Testament family, may we, we as individuals say, I want my life to be one like Samuel's was to where I'm constantly ministering to the Lord and that I will honor him and then knowing that when I honor him, then God will continue to guide me and direct me to do the things that he has called me to do and to be someone who's lived sent 
and one who can impact my world for Christ. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the things that we can learn uh, today through Scripture. And some of these are hard lessons. And Father, every one of us knows that there are mistakes that we've made, not just if we're sitting here as parents, but just in life. And that because of mistakes that we have made, it just makes us more cognizant of the fact that we need forgiveness and we need a Savior. And we thank you that we can look into a passage like this and see a young man who was in a situation that didn't seem to be the best, but yet he continued to find favor with you as he continued to give favor to you and to give honor to you. May we be a people that will share our love for you and that we will honor you with everything that we have. And I specifically pray today for those that are parents and that, Lord, that they would take seriously this incredible gift that you've given them and they would honor you through raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.